0: Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, June 20th, by Pastor Tim Voth. Today's message is the eighth sermon in our series entitled Growing Up in Christ Together. Check out SardisFellowship.com for more information about our church. We've been going through a sermon series called Growing Up in Christ, together. And today I want to talk about healing. I want to talk about how things that aren't healthy don't grow, and how things that are growing are healing. And healing comes from grace, truth, and time. And in order to talk through that, I want to look at the healing that we can experience in Jesus and through his body, the church. And in order to get there, I want to look at a parable found in Luke 13. Everyone who has preached in this series has used some sort of plant metaphor, so I figured I'd add one more to the mix. But before we get there, I want to tell you a bit about my week because it has shaped this sermon. Uh, Monday night was supposed to be getting down to business sermon prep time, and in a way it was. Instead of spending it in the word, praying, and typing, I spent it in the hospital with my oldest son, Ben, because he broke his arm. The poor guy was playing on a hoverboard and he lost his balance and he landed backwards on his arm and broke it right above the elbow. So we went to the emergency here in Chilliwack, which I'm actually quite used to as a father. I've spent countless hours there with all of my kids. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Uh, Sometimes that's what fatherhood looks like. And while it sucks being there in a lot of ways, they've actually often been times that I really bond with my kids. Anyways, there we are in the hospital, and this topic is floating around in my mind while I'm there, and I couldn't help but think of the church as a hospital. The analogy analogy doesn't fit perfectly, but it's close enough. Everyone who goes there has some sort of issue or sickness, and they are all looking to be healed. The same is true of the church. All of us are sick. We all have issues. We all have things inside of us that need healing. We're all on a healing journey. And when we go to a hospital, we expect to get healed. But what do we expect when we belong to a church? Maybe you have brokenness and needs and hope to find meaningful connection to Jesus, meaningful community that can help you and that you can even help. Maybe you don't expect that at all. Maybe you don't think you're sick. And so showing up is as strange as someone going to a hospital just to hang out. Or maybe you even expect to find more hurt, which can happen. People can sometimes get germs from a hospital and walk away sicker. And maybe that's your experience with church. People have experiences in church that hurt them. And the church as an institution has caused its own share of hurt in the world. But I want to tell you that churches are supposed to be a place of healing, not a place that hurts. And as a staff, we've been going through material by Dr. Henry Cloud called Churches That Heal as part of our staff meetings. And some of what I'm going to share is based in his material. We're going through it because we know that to some degree everyone here is hurting including us as a staff. If we're being honest, we're all on healing journeys in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're young, middle-aged, old, brand-new Christian, experienced Christian, not a Christian, congregant, leader. We are all in need of healing. You might be grieving the loss of someone you very recently lost. You might be suffering from a hidden addiction. You might have a mental health challenge like depression or anxiety. Or you might just feel like something's not quite right and you don't know what it is. Or you might feel totally fine, thank you very much, but you're unaware of how Jesus could take you to the next level of healing if you were to open up to him. A church that hurts has expectations that everyone is healthy and having issues isn't right. In that context, if you have a problem, you've really got a problem. But in a church that heals, it is expected that you are there because you have problems. Like showing up to an AA meeting. You're there because you've got a drinking issue. And if you say you don't, then that's a much bigger problem called denial. So we don't want to be a church with people walking around in denial. We also don't want to be a church that people run away from when they're hurting. We want people to run to the church when they're hurting. But this requires grace plus truth plus time. And last week, Rod talked about grace, God's unearned favor. And John 1 talks about Jesus saying that he came full of grace and truth. Not just grace, not just truth, but both. And he came into this world for the, not for the healthy, but for the sick. And that's us. At the core of everyone's being, there's a sickness that plagues us. We don't operate how we were created to be. God created us to be his creatures that live as he would want us to, but we're unable to. We all fall short of what he made us to be, and I think we all know that too. We know there's good we should be doing, but we don't do it. We know there's bad stuff we shouldn't be doing, and we should stop, but we don't. The Bible refers to this inner condition as sin. It's an archery term. We miss the mark of God's goodness and lands somewhere in a pit and from that pit spawns all sorts of problems and those problems affect us on every level. Our minds, our bodies, our relationships, our affections, everything is corrupted with sin. And this sin is the opposite of health. It's like spiritual rot. And as unhealthy trees, we don't bear good fruit like we ought to. We often don't mature into healthy trees. We're stunted, malnourished, fruitless trees and we need help. We need healing. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. Now, it's not quite clear who everyone in this parable is. Some think it's a parable between God and Israel. Um, But basically, there's a profound principle in this parable that can apply to many things, any system or structure or, or church, but even to an individual. And so let's read it from that perspective and let's get into the mindset of the parable picture it. There's this man who planted a tree. And why do people plant fruit trees? It's pretty simple, for fruit. And what is the first thing he has? An expectation. It should have fruit on it. And he comes looking for fruit and he finds none. And I wonder how often have you experienced that dialogue in your own head about yourself? There's some expectation of your life or yourself that you have, that you ought to be by now, and you look for evidence of some growth, progress, and maturity, and you find none, or not as much as you'd hoped. You know, I think it's pretty deeply embedded in our human nature to have expectations for things to go well in life. And as parents with young kids, Jenna and I have learned the hard way that our expectations usually don't pan out. Kids are like wild cards, you just, you just put that cute dress on your little girl and she pukes all over it. You're trying to do a little photo shoot and they're all in grumpy moods. You go to a playground and there's more fighting than playing. You know, maybe we're a little bit jaded but sometimes when we're driving somewhere with our kids and we're going to somewhere, um, we'll say, okay, let's just remember to lower our expectations a little bit and just accept whatever happens. Because what's the opposite? I think the opposite of that is the reaction that the vine- vineyard owner has. We read this parable in about 10 seconds, but in the parable, the guy has come to the tree for three years in a row, each time with a similar expectation, and each time with the- that expectation was dashed. And what was his response? Anger, frustration. The tree wasn't doing what it was designed and planted to do. And ultimately, his voice is a voice of condemnation. This tree was condemned because it wasn't measuring up. It didn't have any value. It was time to chop it down. It was wasting the ground it was planted in. Now I think we all struggle with that voice of condemnation. Whether it be someone around us who has demands and expectations that belittles us when we don't measure up, whether it be the voice of the enemy or even just our own negative self-perception. Maybe you've had that voice say, still, how can you still be struggling with this? It's been years. You're pathetic, useless, just taking up space. All those other trees are fruitful. Why can't you be? And this is a vicious spiritual cycle, and it can make any person wilt. If you look back at any heroes of the faith, any saints, many of them struggled with a similar cycle, an expectation then reality and then self-condemnation and some sort of religious or legalistic ritual of repentance and lots and lots and lots of guilt and then expectations, reality, self-condemnation over and over for years. And how many times do you think that tree heard the vineyard owner curse him out? That cycle can play out between you and someone else or it can just play out in your own head. But we need to break that cycle and to do that we need grace, truth and time. And we encounter all of these when the advocate steps in. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Here comes the advocate. Here comes the one full of grace and truth. Here comes the Jesus figure and listen what he says. Leave it alone. He says no to that voice of condemnation. This tree is in an environment full of expectations and condemnation and before the vine dresser does any work on the tree, he says, no, this will not be a place of condemnation. In Romans 8, Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And what does that mean? Jesus took every condemnation aimed against you, every wrong thing that you actually deserve condemnation for, he took it. The punishment of sin is death, and Jesus took your death and sin for you. And before we can even begin the work of healing, we need a space that is free from condemnation. It's like in the declaration called Medicine's Social Contract with Humanity. Point number three, treat the sick and injured with competence and compassion and without prejudice. Jesus is the great physician, and he doesn't simply stand in judgment against us like the vineyard owner. He seeks to restore and heal even those trees that everyone else would have viewed as a lost cause. He doesn't judge. He withholds judgment so that healing can take place. Look what the vine dresser says. Leave it alone and I'll dig around it. Why does he want to dig around it? Why not just sprinkle the fertilizer on the hard topsoil? Well, that fertilizer, that help from outside, that unearned favor, that grace, it would do nothing if it wasn't put on the right spot. Grace is useless if it isn't applied to the truth under the surface. You don't wash a car to fix an oil leak. You don't brush your teeth to to fix an abscess tooth. The truth. The truth penetrates below the surface of things and reveals the real problem. So when my son landed on his arm, I knew almost immediately that this fall was different. He landed on his hand and yet his arm hurt way up here and he couldn't move it at all. And I just happened to do my first aid for Afternoon Adventures, so I did a little assessment, and something wasn't right. I thought it might be broken, but I didn't know. And when we went to the emergency, what did they do? Put a Band-Aid on it? Randomly start casting parts of his body? No, they felt where it hurt, and they took an X-ray. They went beneath the surface to see the real problem. And when they did, they saw exactly what was wrong and simultaneously knew exactly what to do about it. And I think in reality, often the place that most hurts in us is the exact place we need to be examined, but also the exact place we're least willing to have exposed. Why is it so hard to be honest about the worst parts of who we are? Why do we hide? Why do we refuse to dig? Why do we just want grace sprinkled on the surface and not let it get to our most needy spots in our souls? There's a recent book written by a clinical psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson. And in that book, there's a chapter titled, Do Not Hide Unwanted Things in the Fog. In that chapter, he talks about the challenge of admitting the truth. He says this, what should you do as an alternative to hiding things in the fog? Admit your feelings. This is a very tricky matter and it does not mean simply give in to them. First, noting, much less communicating, feelings of petty anger or pain due to lonesomeness or anxiety about something that might be trivial or jealousy that is likely unwarranted is embarrassing. The admission of such feelings is a revelation of ignorance, insufficiency, and vulnerability. And second, it is unsettling to allow for the possibility that your feelings, however overwhelming and convicting, might be misplaced and in your ignorance, pointing you in the wrong direction. It is possible that you have misinterpreted the situation entirely for reasons of which you remain fundamentally unconscious. So the opposite of hiding things in the fog and and keeping them buried is, is admitting your feelings. But that comes with its own pain because it's embarrassing because it often reveals just how ignorant, insufficient, vulnerable, misguided, and lost you actually are. And so you might think, oh, I don't want any of that. Better to seem knowledgeable, self-sufficient, and strong, and properly aimed and oriented. But he goes on to say that it is better to clear the fog and at least see your own pitfalls because then you won't walk blindly into them and experience more tragedy down the road that you could have avoided if you had just been honest with yourself. Last week, Rod referred to that that self that wants to seem knowledgeable and strong and self-sufficient, The self we want everyone else to see in public, he referred to it as the imposter. And I sometimes refer to it as Flanders. If you've ever watched The Simpsons, you will know who Flanders is. He's the neighbor to Homer. He's everything that I dislike about Christian stereotypes. Superty-duperty friendly, never a problem in the world, whistles his way everywhere. Eternal optimist, each day is brighter than the next. I remember once someone said I reminded them of Flanders and I died a little bit inside because it meant that I was probably super fake around people. Now it's great to be super nice and friendly and approachable. That's great, don't get me wrong. But I think we sometimes have this perception that to follow Jesus means to have everything together and we can't let him or anyone else into the disorder and pain that we actually experience in the real world. But did you know that Jesus loves the you that no one else sees? The one that hides? He's the physician. He knows where you hurt and he's got an x-ray machine. Where do you least want him to look? Where does it most hurt? Where do you most need him to examine in your life? Nothing is hidden from God's sight. He knows all your deepest hurts and there's hope. The truth isn't only painful, it's healing. Listen to what it says in Ephesians. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's shameful to even speak of what they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that is visible is light. The best way to overcome the darkness is to simply expose it to God. Talk to him about it. Don't hide it. Instead, expose it. Be honest with God. You won't surprise him or scare him away. He already knows it, and he wants you to be honest about it with him about everything you're going through. So when they got an x-ray on Ben's arm and saw the exact break, they didn't judge it. They didn't just leave it and say, there you go, you got the truth, your arm's broken. No, then they began the work of grace, truth and grace. Once they found the spot, they began to process, the, the process of putting a cast on. And they don't just look under the surface for the sake of it. They didn't just start casting his body randomly. They applied the grace right where the truth had revealed the pain. The vine dresser applied fertilizer under the surface. This is something that the tree cannot produce on its own. That's grace. Something coming from outside the closed system of failure, self-condemnation and rot and bringing healing. This tree was powerless to change without something from the outside. If your car runs out of gas, it can't muster up gas. If a tooth has a rotten root, it can't create its own antibiotics. If a tree is rotten or malnourished, it can't create its own soil. If you are a broken, hurting person, you cannot produce your own healing. You need grace. And grace, by its very nature, by its very definition, cannot be earned, only received. The tree couldn't uproot itself and go walk around looking for better soil. It was stuck. But the vine dresser came, offered fertilizer, and the tree accepted it. That's all you have to do with God's grace is say yes or no. And if you say no, that's fine, but there is a warning inherent in this passage. The tree eventually gets chopped down. But if you say yes, then you can receive the complete acceptance and love of God in the depths of who you are. Have you accepted God's grace? Or are you still trying to earn favor with him? Or pretend to be a good person before him? Or wait until you're all fixed up and cleaned up before you go to him? You can come to Jesus exactly as you are and he will accept you, take you in, love you and nourish you so that you will grow and heal over time. And that's the third ingredient, time. When we begin our healing journey, we cannot expect an immediate fix. My son is now wearing a cast and he'll have it for most of the summer. We're looking online for little plastic bags that can kind of go over the cast if he wants to swim or have a bath. uh, If anyone has some tips, that'd be great. But just because he got the truth, the x-ray, and just because he got the cast, the grace, doesn't mean he's all good now. It takes time. But not just time. I've come to believe that the saying, time heals all wounds, is just false. When you get a cut, it isn't time healing it. It's white blood cells and platelets and about a million other things the body is doing uh, to heal it. And it just happens to take time. It's not just time. If you just sit in a waiting room, you will not get healed. In fact, you might get more sick. If we're wounded and we don't deal with it, we just suppress and bottle and that manifests in all sorts of other pain, even physical. If we have experienced a tragedy and time has gone by, it doesn't mean we've done the hard work of grieving and processing. It just means time has gone by. So the vine dresser gives the tree another year and says, look, just be patient. It's not going to bear fruit in a day. Give it time. Are you giving yourself time? Are you frustrated that God isn't working faster in your life? Well, you don't have to be scared from this passage that you literally have a year to figure it out. I think the point is that the vine dresser is absurdly patient on the plant. After the first year, most would probably have cut it down. Three years and then another year on top of that just goes to show the wild amount of patience God has for us. What does the Bible say? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And if you read literally the next story uh, after this parable, you'll see what I mean. Right after this parable, Jesus encounters a woman who has been suffering from a sick body for three years and then he gives her an extra year. No, that's not what it says. She's been suffering for 18 years. And Jesus sees her, lays hands on her, and heals her. He heals us in his timing when we encounter his grace and truth. Are you giving yourself time? Do you know that Jesus is amazingly patient on you? He wants you to find healing and it takes time, grace, truth, and time. That's how we find healing in Christ. That's part of how we grow up in Christ. But why this last word in the sermon series, together? What does the church have to do with all this? What does community do if Jesus offers me all this healing between just me and him? Well, the Bible in Ephesians 4 calls the people who trust in Jesus a body. It's a strange analogy. You're part of a body. And a finger cut off on its own somewhere can't heal. The people around you in Christ, these people are members of the same body and we all need each other. You know, doctors often say they don't heal anyone. They just help the body heal itself. We build ourselves up in love. Jesus came into the world. He lived. He taught. He loved. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us who call him Lord. His spirit dwells in us. The great physician is in us, and now he uses the body to heal itself. So picture a hospital, but instead of doctors walking around healing the sick patients, it's sick patients helping sick patients. People on healing journeys helping people on healing journeys. We need grace, truth, and time from Jesus, but we need all of those from one another as well. So just like this plant in the parable has a condemnation free zone in Christ. Do you have a condemnation-free zone with someone in the body? Someone you can go to and open up with knowing there will be zero judgment? And do you offer that to people around you? This isn't rocket science. When you open up in an environment like that, the body of Christ works its wonders. There's healing starting. So let's walk through all these. Truth. Do you have a person or people in your life digging around in your life? Do you have people willing to give you an x-ray and see what's really going on under the surface? Or are you stuck in shallow surface mode and no one really sees the real you? The Bible says, speak the truth to one another in love. Do you have people you can speak the truth to? Now I get it, we can't be vulnerable with every single person, that's not right. But we do need people we can trust that can look below the surface and see our hurts and also call us out in areas of our life that are off track. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary. Grace. Do you have people helping you? Are you open with them, but then do you actually receive their grace? Or do you just go around trying to help everyone else? It's important to intentionally put ourselves in a need state where we don't just refuse help and say we've got it all together. This is hard for me. I'll give you a simple example. Jenna and I started a plot in the community garden back here at the church, and we thought we could take care of it all, but with four young kids, we drastically overestimated how much time we would be able to spend there, and we drastically underestimated how quickly weeds grow. Needless to say, our plot looked like no one had taken care of it for years. Everything we planted was being choked out by weeds. Uh, We kept thinking, ah, we'll get to it soon, but we never quite did. Eventually, the people who let us plant there graciously reached out and said, hey, do you guys need some help? We could, we could kind of till it all up and give the ground a fresh start and plant new stuff and, and then give that food to a food bank. Now our pride said no at first, we can do it. But eventually we realized we need help. So we said yes, please help us. We kept half and are still taking care of that half. But the other half is now being used to help others. We had to admit our need and then we needed to accept the help that was given to us. And guess what? When we do, that actually pays off. Not just for us, but for others around us. I mean, what do you think fruit is for? It's for nourishing others. When you are healed through grace and truth over time, you begin to be a healing presence to others. And time. Are you giving yourself time? Do you give others time to grow? And are you giving yourself time to find these avenues of connection? I get it. It's not as simple as saying, find someone to be totally honest with. Like, that's crazy. How do you even do that? And maybe that sounds horribly unappealing to you, and that's okay. Everyone's healing journey looks a bit different, but the ingredients are the same. Maybe you want a little group of people to hang out with where you feel comfortable. Maybe you like grabbing coffees one-on-one. Maybe all of that sounds too mushy and you've never been the type to open up. All I know is that we need grace, truth, and time for healing. And if you don't have avenues for that yet, What matters is that you're at least aiming at that, building towards it. Sometimes it takes months or years to build enough trust with someone to really open up with them, and that's okay. Sometimes it takes a lot of just hanging out and having fun and shooting the breeze before things get real, and that's okay too. But sometimes you need help like right now, and it's urgent, and you haven't been building those relationships, and you are alone, and that's okay too. There are people you can reach out to. Reach out to us on staff. We'd love to meet and talk and point you in the right direction, whether that means meeting with us or pointing you to good counselors or pointing you to further community and connection. And we also want to give you more avenues of healing. One of those is churches that heal groups. And in the fall, we're hoping to run at least one where we work through this material to help you continue to grow in your healing journey. If you want to get a sample of the sessions, you can even find short clips of each on Right Now Media online, which you can access for free if you sign up through the church's website. Dr. Henry Cloud goes through topics like this, grace, truth, and time, relational connections, setting boundaries, processing pain, and becoming an adult. And if that interests you, please reach out to me. We're also continuing to develop life groups, people in groups with all sorts of different makeups, venues, and focuses where you can be known. Because it's in those relational connections that all of this can take place. And if that interests you, please reach out to Rob Schaff, our discipling pastor. So let's aim to be a church that heals, not a church that hurts. Let's aim to find our healing in Jesus through one another. And let's aim to pass it on and be a people who bear fruit in order to nourish those around us with grace and truth. So here are some discussion questions for you. One, if you had to pick one, grace, truth, or time, which would you say you tend to depend on most for healing? What does it look like if you depend too much on one to the neglect of the others? Why doesn't that produce healing? Two, do you have a story of a time where you refused help when you really needed it? Do you have a story of a time when you asked for help and received it? What was the difference between those times? What made you refuse it? What made you ask for it? How does it look towards aiming, towards building relationships where grace, truth, and time can exist? What makes it challenging to build towards those kinds of relationships? And how can you overcome those challenges? Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.